0: All right, all the kids can be dismissed. <clears throat> um, if you have a Bible, uh, we're going to go to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the, the pew in front of you there. And I want to share with you a word that's uh, been on my heart for uh, several weeks. In fact, I had planned to do uh, a sermon series as I've announced over the last uh, several Uh, weeks on the, excuse me, I need to connect my phone, Um, on the book of Hebrews, and um, I just felt like we, you know, there's so much happening in our world right now. And uh, often people say, well, you know, are you gonna address all of these things? Are you gonna address the elections? Are you gonna address police brutality? Are you gonna, I mean, the church needs to, to not be silent on all of these issues and all of these things that are happening and, you know, I'm just trying to get the church to not be silent on Jesus and his life transforming power. And so if I can get you to not be silent about that uh, and start living that out, I think we'll see Uh, Change in in our culture and in our world and um, a passage of scripture that I read several weeks ago Just really resonated in my heart from Galatians chapter 6 and that's what we're gonna look at and I've titled this Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Um, I don't know if you've ever heard that question. I Don't know if you've ever asked that question Um, I've done both this last uh, summer or this summer in June I had the chance to go to Pennsylvania to see my family and to watch a nephew graduate and the kids and I drove. And uh, to avoid Chicago, excuse me, as every good traveler does, uh, we thought we'd go south through Indianapolis and, you know, go that way. But I don't know, Indianapolis was, you know, 15 lanes of traffic it seemed like and just as bad as Chicago and so I don't know why we went that way. But uh, it took much longer and so I remember thinking, are we there yet? I'm just tired of being in this car. Um, and. Uh, Sometimes the question, are we there yet, is maybe in the other sense, you know, as you're a child on the way to the doctor about to get six shots so you can go to kindergarten and, and uh, you know, the idea of are we there yet, uh, you know, you want that ride to be longer. And so you can kind of look at that both ways and uh, hopefully you'll see what we're talking about as we get through uh, today, but as Americans, we tend to like to get places quickly, I'm not just talking about trips. I'm not talking about, you know, just driving. I'm talking about everything. You know, exercise. You know, how do I how do I get bigger faster how do I get in shape faster how do I am able to do this quicker how how can I lose weight faster how can I get a diet that just helps me in 15 days to drop 30 pounds and you know how can I yesterday I want this done or you know how can I get wealth quickly I mean I want to be able to to uh, be able to have a big savings account and I want to have a good portfolio and retirement fund I want to do it you know like in a week could I could I get that done or you know I want to buy something and so we don't have any concept of you know save up buy it later you know we buy it now and we buy on credit and then we get ourselves into trouble and we have debt and so we just we want to get there and if we're not there you know we just have a hard time waiting or we think maybe there's a better way or a quicker way or faster way Um, and we tie that over spiritually too you know we think everything should happen instantly and if it doesn't look like it's happening instantly something should be wrong I mean, if I'm not getting that healing that I'm praying for, you know, uh, I don't. What's going on? Or praying for salvation for my loved ones, or trying to break this addiction, or trying to, you know, you know, walk through life and be obedient to God. But it's just not happening as fast as I think it should happen. So we look around. Why aren't we there yet, Pastor? Why, you know, as a church, are we where? Why? Why are we? Why are we struggling? Why are we going backwards? Why are we, I mean, how do we get there? Because after all, the destination is where we're going, right? But here's what I've learned in my life, brief as it has been so far. We don't serve a microwave God. We serve a crock pot God. And we are microwave people. And so there's friction in our lives at times because God's not doing what we want him to do as fast as we want him to do it. And Galatians chapter six really speaks this over us and tries to calm us a little bit I mean, even as you look through Scripture and you see how God suddenly does something, suddenly this happened, or suddenly that happened, or suddenly this happened, if you trace it back, even though it happened suddenly to the people that were there, God had been marinating it, if you will, over time. I mean, it's like the crock pot when you take the lid off and it escapes suddenly, but it was marinating over time. And so, don't get confused and think, you know, if you just try this Jesus thing, your life is going to be great tomorrow. Um, It's going to be better and it's going to progress. But some days, I promise you this, you're going to feel worse off than before you even started. Yeah. Some days in serving the Lord, even after maybe 20 years of serving the Lord, you might stop and think, you know what? My life was better even before I became a believer. You will think that. It won't be the truth but you'll be tempted to think it. And that's what Galatians chapter six talks at. So let's look at verse seven. Paul writing to the church in Galatia. This is what he says. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we do not give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. There's two groups of people that are addressed in this passage of scripture one is those who sow or plant to the sinful nature in other words they do what their sinful nature their flesh desires on a regular basis and the bible says those people will harvest decay and death then there are those who sow or plant to the spirit what the spirit inside of us the holy spirit who has come into us through christ wants to do or wants us to do and those people who live that way according to what he desires will harvest everlasting life life the law of sowing and reaping that's a law okay the law of gravity is if i drop something from right here it will fall and hit the floor that's the law of gravity No matter what I want to do or want to happen, that law will always be in effect. I could go up to the top of this church and say, I do not believe in the law of gravity and jump off, but the law of gravity will win. What I feel will not matter. The gravity will take over and I'll hit the ground. This is what God is saying. Do not be misled. Do not think that the justice of God can be mocked. The justice of God has set a law into motion that you will reap, harvest what you plant, what you sow. And all of us, the scripture says, have planted sin. And we're due to harvest death. But Christ came and he sent his spirit so that if we put our faith in him, his spirit can come live in us so that now we can start planting to the spirit not to the flesh, and the scripture speaks so much to this. Now that the, the spirit has come and living in you, you don't have to do what the flesh wants. You don't have to sow to the spirit, you, or the flesh. You don't have to do what your flesh desires. You can now be empowered by the spirit to do what the spirit desires, so that you no longer have to, to reap decay or reap death. You can reap what is good, what is life. We see this in nature because if you take a seed and you plant it in the ground and you give it the right environment, you give it light and you give it water, it will grow. You don't have to do anything to make it grow. You don't have to talk to it. You don't have to get down there and, and you know, pop the shell so the seed, you just, it does it all by itself. It grows. It's a law. You plant it, you harvest it. You don't plant corn and harvest wheat. You harvest what you plant. And none of us would argue in the natural realm that that's true, but we we try to argue it in the spiritual realm. And we try to think that we can sow to the flesh and reap life. Do not be misled. You cannot sow to the flesh and reap life. And in the same way, you cannot sow to the spirit and reap decay and death, even if it feels like it. And so these are the two things that, the two people that Paul's addressing. And so let's talk about this first group of people, those that are living to satisfy the sinful nature. Remember three, three words for these people. The first word is the word deception. They all start with D. So people who live to please the sinful nature, three Ds. Paul says do not be misled, do not be deceived. Do not allow deception to come into your mind. If he tells us that, that means there's a possibility we can be misled. There's a possibility that we can be deceived. The scripture teaches us that deception in the last days will be greater than at any other time on the earth. So the longer we are on this earth, the greater the propensity for deception becomes. So when Paul writes this letter to the church in Galatia, there's this concept that they could be deceived, but even more so today. The scripture also teaches us that those of us that think that he's not talking to us, those of us that think maybe this is for other people and that we would not be deceived. I mean, we've been raised in church. I read the Bible every day. There's no way I'm going to be deceived. We are actually more prone to be deceived than others. When you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. Be careful that you're not deceived. So we have to have the, We don't have to run around afraid that we're gonna be deceived, but we have to be sober about this. We have to understand there's an enemy in this world that's way smarter than us that can deceive us. And we have to make sure that we avoid it. James begins to tell us how we avoid it. Get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word that God has planted in your hearts. It has the power to save your souls but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves, deceiving yourselves. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, God will bless you for doing it. In other words, James says, if you Read the word, you know the word, and you begin to conform your life to the word, you are fighting against deception. But if you hear God's word but do not put it into practice, he actually says, I I didn't put those verses, those three dots. He says, You're like a man who looks at himself in the mirror and then turns away and forgets what he looks like. You begin to become deceived. This happens all the time in our lives. We walk away from a moment. We read a scripture and the Holy Spirit comes and he's like, this should not be a part of your life. And we're like, yeah, I know it should not be. And then we walk away from that moment, whether it was at an altar or in a sermon or a devotional or a Bible study you were doing in your group and the Lord really spoke to your heart and you gotta make a change in your life and you're like, yeah, I gotta make that change in my life. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for pointing that out. And then all of a sudden, we get into the thick of things it's easy to repent at an altar it's harder to repent when we're out there repent by the way doesn't mean feel bad it means turn it means change and we get home and we're like well but you know that that's really a lot harder to live out than I thought it was and so we begin to rationalize and our emotions take over and we think well maybe God really didn't mean that yes he did what he spoke to you through his word he meant Don't let the emotion of the moment or the hardness of that, putting it into practice, deceive you. Do not be misled. Now, we're not talking about mistakes that you and I make. Because how many of you know we all make mistakes? Amen? Thank you for raising your hand really high. Because we do. We're prone to it. We wrestle. With our flesh, even after Christ comes to live in our lives in the Holy Spirit, there's a struggle. So the second D we need to remember is deliberate sin. Hebrews chapter 10 speaks to this idea of deliberate sin. It says this, if we deliberately continue sinning, after we've received knowledge of the truth, there's no longer any sacrifice to cover these sins. There's only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. Do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he's promised. What he's talking about is when we start putting into practice what God's word says, and we turn back from it, and we start to rationalize, well, maybe that's not what God's word says, or that's too hard, that's not practical, I don't want to put that into practice. That's deliberate sin. We are now taking what God has says, do not do this, or he wants you to start doing this, and we say, no, well, I'm not going to do that. That's deliberate This isn't, you know, you lost your temper and you blew up at the kids or you blew up at your spouse or you looked at something that you you were tempted and you looked and you thought, ah. It's when you are tempted to look at something and you look at it and then you say, it's okay that I look at it. That's deliberate sin. It's when you invite it to come and stay with you and you stop calling it sin and you stop calling it evil. Woe to those who call good evil and evil good is what the scripture teaches to us. And so we need to turn away from that. In Galatians chapter five, the apostle Paul goes through this list and he's beginning right before the passage we read. This is what he writes to them. Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives so that you will not do what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. The spirit gives us the desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. And these two forces are constantly fighting against each other so you're not free to carry out your good intentions but when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, here's the result. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and all other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now again, we wrestle with these things. We're putting them out of our lives. We're calling them sin. We're, 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 we have accountability. We're turning away. I get that process. But when we start accepting them as these are just going to be in my life, we're in trouble. This is where deception sneaks into the picture. This is where Paul is warning this church, do not be deceived. If you, if you continue to plant what the sinful nature desires, this is what you will harvest and ultimately you're gonna harvest death and decay. You can't live like this and expect good fruit to be on the tree, that's what he's saying. The third D that I want us to remember is the doctrines of demons. Now that's a King James version of the Bible translation but I'm not I'm going to read to you from First Timothy chapter 4 in a second, but I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. But what are doctrines of demons? When we stop reading the Word and conforming our lives to the Word, we open ourselves up to deception, as we've talked about. There are demonic spirits and influence at work in our world today, and they are not just Ouija boards and tarot cards. They're not just green-eyed, fanged, creepy, um, crazy things. Okay? These two scriptures maybe will shed a little bit more light on it. From 1 Timothy chapter 4, the Holy Spirit tells us in the last times, some will turn away from the true faith. Turn away from it. Meaning they believed in the true faith, but they'll turn from it, and they will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. How do people who have accepted Christ as Savior and Lord, who have the Holy Spirit living in them, turn away from true faith and become deceived by demons. Because they stop conforming their lives to the word. And they start letting things stay that are supposed to go. And we slowly begin to get deceived and we actually start listening to demonic spirits influencing us and we still think we're serving the lord that's why he says be sober about this in second corinthians chapter 11 even satan disguises himself as an angel of light so it is no wonder that his servants disguise themselves as servants of righteousness in the end they will get the punishment that their wicked deeds deserve do not be misled misled by demonic deceptive spirits in our world today, homosexuality is being promoted as acceptable. I mean, God wants people, I mean, it's it's a love message. Uh, sex outside of marriage is being promoted. God knows we have needs and he wants us, I mean, that the Bible is archaic. I mean, it was written to a culture years ago. You know, God understands our culture more and he wants us to be a little bit more free. And it's a... To the human mind, to our reason, it sounds like a great message. We just got to love everybody. Absolutely, we have to love everybody. But that doesn't change what God's word says is true and not true. And what God has called evil, we cannot call good. When we begin to call what God has said is evil good and what, good is, what God has said is good is evil, we open ourselves up to demonic influence. And you may feel like God still loves you. Because there are people that sit in pews and are calling what God has clearly said in his word, sin, good, and they're like, but God loves me. I sense his love, I sense his kindness. And absolutely, because scripture says, God is kind to the just and the unjust. God gives love to everyone without measure. He offers grace and mercy to all men. And so absolutely you can feel God's love, but do not confuse God's love and kindness as a sign of his approval. This is why Paul says do not be misled because people who will eventually end up in hell separated from God will always have God's grace and mercy and love extended to them. Always, right up until the moment that they choose to continue to reject him and are cast into hell. They will have his grace, love, and mercy freely offered to them. So the fact that you can feel God's love is not a sign. The fruit of our lives, conforming our lives to his word, is the test. Do not be misled. There is a law of sowing and reaping at work. That's kind of the heavy one, if you will. And so I started with the heavy one because I wanted to end with the good one. The other group of people that that Paul addresses are the people who are, are sowing to the Spirit. They are planting to the Spirit. They're not perfect, but they're growing. They're confessing their sin. They're repenting. They're not excusing. We're seeking to live lives that are surrendered to the Lord. We're not trying to gratify our flesh. We're trying to do what's right. And to these people, the Apostle Paul says, don't get tired of doing the right thing and give up. He says the law of sowing and reaping is at work in your life too. If you keep sowing to the spirit, you will reap. It's impossible not to. But sometimes, I promise you this, you're gonna, you're gonna be sowing to the spirit, you're gonna be doing what the Bible says to do, you're gonna do the right thing, and it looks like all you're harvesting is decay and death. There's nothing growing And you're gonna be tempted to give up. You're gonna be tempted to look for a shortcut. You're gonna be tempted to try to go another way. And the apostle Paul says, don't give up. It's impossible for you to keep sowing to the spirit, to keep putting the word into practice. It's impossible if you just don't stop. It's impossible for you not to harvest life. And that's the word of encouragement he gives to us. Now, in the same way that he said, Don't be misled because there's a chance we'll be misled. He's obviously telling us, don't give up because there's the chance that we will give up. Now, I don't know what you think about being a pastor, but... I don't know if you think every time I sit here, my emotions are like, man, I'm so excited to love Jesus today and preach those, those scriptures. Or every time I walk in this room that magically I just feel like worshiping God. Or when I wake up, I mean, there are times that I look cheerful on the outside, but inside there's a war going on. But I've learned that you have to just keep sowing to the spirit. And so There are times that it may look like everything's together, but I promise you, if you peered behind the curtain, you would see everything is so not together. And so if you thought my life was perfect and that Christy and I never fight and my kids always do everything I ask them to the moment I ask them and that I never have a discouraging thought in my life and I never say something to someone I shouldn't or I never do anything wrong, if you thought that in any way, shape, or form... um, wow, that's pretty cool. Um, No, if you thought that, I don't know why you thought that because it's so not true. I'm just like everyone else in the room. I struggle with these things. And we have to just resolve, and now three words for these who sow to the Spirit, three R words. We just have to resolve that this is true. I mean, settle it in your mind. This book is true. No matter what I feel, no matter what I see, this book is true and I resolve to just stand on it. I just resolve to be obedient over and over and over again. Yeah, I failed again, I made a mistake again, I I did that thing I promised I'd never do again, but I'm getting back up, that thing is still sin, I'm still getting away from it, and I am gonna conform my life to the image of Jesus, and he's, he's covering me as I walk this out, and I'm just gonna keep walking. In James chapter one, dear brothers, When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. When you sow to the Spirit, when you obey the word of God, when you obey the Holy Spirit, and you just keep doing the right thing, even when it's hard, even when you don't feel like it, you will reap life. Endurance and perseverance is being planted in your life even if it looks like your field is bare. Even if it looks like your crops are wilted. God has promised if you stay with him, he will stay with you. And the crazy thing is, is even when we don't stay with him, he stays faithful to us and stays with us. He keeps pursuing us. In the end of the passage that we read from Galatians chapter six, verse 10 it says, "Keep so in light of all these things, keep on doing good to each other. Remember that? Keep on doing good to everyone and keep on doing good especially to other believers. Why does it say that? Because everyone is on the verge of giving up at some point. And so do something to encourage them not to give up. People in the world they're being misled, do good to them because it's the kindness of God that leads them to repentance. People in the church do good to them. Why? Because they could be on the verge of just throwing it all in and the goodness you do to them could be something that just gets them through today. So find ways to encourage each other, keep building one another up. The apostle I almost said Paul, but we don't know who wrote Hebrews. We'll talk about that next week. Hebrews 3.13 says, Warn each other every day while it is still today, so none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. Now, that word warn, it's interesting, because I looked at all these different translations, and warn sounds bad. The Greek word literally means to earnestly support one another. Earnestly support one another every day while it is still today so you will not be deceived by sin and hardened against God. Keep doing good to each other, supporting each other every day. Why? Because somebody might be wanting to give up, try a different way, look for a shortcut, and eventually are going to be deceived by sin and hardened against God. They're going to be misled and think that they can sow to the flesh and be turned away, follow demonic spirit. We're good to each other so that that doesn't happen so that we don't give up. We're literally asked to be guardrails for one another because there's a war going on on the inside of us, uh, flesh and spirit all the time. And it, you, I could have a plastic smile on. You could have a plastic smile on. We keep doing good to each other because if there is something going on behind that plastic smile, I want to make sure you don't give up. The second R word, results. You, this could actually say real results. It should say real results, but real results. This is where the Are we there yet comes in. How long do I have to keep planting before I get the harvest? I'm. I ask that too, Lord. Okay. I've been obedient to your word. I've asked everything you've asked me to do. I've tried to do it. I mean, I know I've made mistakes, but I've confessed them as much as I know how. And yet, I look at my life, I look at the fruit, and it seems like I'm going backwards. It seems like this field's bare. I don't know what else to do. Maybe there's a better way. And so I start looking at other churches, and I look at them, and I think, look at what they're doing. Or I look at other people. Look what they're doing. And I mean, they're doing a different thing than what you told me to do, and so maybe I should do what they're doing. I don't have to listen to what you told me to do. I'm going to do what they're doing. And so we're tempted to take what God has asked us to do or the faithfulness of God, and we're like, we're going to go a different way. We're going to go with it. But here's the thing. Stick with what God has said to do. Never doubt in the dark what God has said in the day. Never doubt in the dark what God has said in the day. When God has made something clear for you to do or not do, don't start doubting it because it's hard or because you're not seeing the insta-results that you thought you were gonna see. Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter, all these great men and women of faith who didn't even see what they were promised when they died well, that's encouraging. I may sow to the Spirit all my life and never see that fruit. But when I stand before Him, I will reap life if I don't give up. Remember that God led the Israelites to a dead end and pinned them in next to the Red Sea with the Pharaoh's army chasing them on purpose. Read the scripture in Exodus God led them. To that place so they would learn to trust him maybe the dead end you're experiencing in your life right now that you feel that god's abandoned you maybe god's led you there because he wants you to learn to trust him in a new way in acts chapter one the apostles have some of these same questions they're with jesus and they keep saying lord when are you going to free israel when are you gonna restore the kingdom? We've been waiting 400 years. We've been hanging out with you for three years and you know we know you're the Messiah. Okay, so it's like we're tasting it now. I mean, we're so on the verge of this thing. When are you gonna restore the kingdom? When are these things gonna happen? And Jesus says this, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. They are not for you to know, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So they're like, Lord, when? How long? They're asking all these questions that Jesus says, basically, these questions are above your pay grade. The Father has set those. And the timing of everything is in His hands. But He's given you His Spirit, to empower you to be faithful to the task at hand. There's a task at hand that I've given to you, and you just need to be faithful to it. There's a word I've put in you. Stop looking for a new word. Be faithful to the word I've planted in you. Don't give up on that word, and see that thing through. In John chapter 21, Peter, when Jesus is saying, Peter, you're gonna face all these terrible things in life, and so, of course, Peter's like, What about this guy? What about the other? I mean, you know, I'm going to be led away. I'm going to face something that I don't want to face. I'm going to have all these hardships. What about John? What's he going to go through? What's he going to face? Jesus says this in verse 22. If I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? You follow me. See, here's what happens. Whenever the field is dry and we're, we're planting and we're like, there's no harvest and we start looking at everyone else's field. Why are they reaping? Why are they seeing benefit? Maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe, maybe, uh, m- maybe there's nothing. Maybe I should just start living different. Maybe I should just give up. Maybe m- there's no hope for me. Hopelessness and despair starts to set in, and so we start looking around. And Jesus in both of these passages says, Stop worrying about the timing. Trust your Father. Put put his word into practice. Keep sowing to the Spirit. Believe that He is going to bring to pass what He said He's going to bring to pass. Stop looking at other people. Stop comparing yourself to others. And get your eyes on me. Hebrews chapter 12 says. we're surrounded by this crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, so we strip off these things that slow us down. We run with endurance. The race God has set in front of us by keeping our eyes on Jesus. We remember what he suffered, so it brings us encouragement. He suffered it. He knows what I'm going through. He knows what it's like to face the things that I'm facing, to bring us encouragement so that, look what he says at the end of it, so that we do not become weary and give up. If you keep looking at everyone else or you keep looking at your field and wondering, you know, when is today the day? When it, are we there yet? When is it gonna happen? You're not gonna find yourself being encouraged in those moments. Jesus points us back to the Holy Spirit. Jesus points us back to the word, the task at hand. Jesus points us back to himself. Keep your eyes on me and I'll lead you through. The last R word I want you to remember is the word Rest the word rest I don't know if you've ever taken a long trip some of you just took long trips recently but when we went to Pennsylvania this summer we took rests we stopped at rest stops and as you're traveling on the highway there are rest stops here in the Midwest and some of the signs will say uh, no services available meaning you basically just pull off there Uh, mostly truckers will pull off there there's nothing I mean, maybe there's a picnic table, there's no bathrooms, there's no electricity, there's no phone, there's, it's just a pull off, basically. No services. Some will say vending available. Ooh, in case you want lunch from a vending machine, you can stop there or you just need a little snack to tie you over to lunch. Um, but there's picnic tables, there's bathrooms available. And so depending on the type of rest you need, you're looking for your kind of rest stop. Now, in the Midwest, if you need gas, stopping in a rest area, ain't going to help you. There's no gasoline there. When I grew up in the, out east, most of our roads were interstates. And so, as we traveled down the interstate, you didn't want to keep getting off the interstate, the toll road where you paid. I shouldn't say interstate. We called it that as kids, but it's actually a toll road. And so, you couldn't just keep getting off and paying tolls, so you, you had rest areas that were different. They're awesome. I mean, they have picnic tables, and they have places where you can eat, but they have also a gas station, and they've got Starbucks and McDonald's and Sparrow and all kinds of restaurants inside, and there's bathrooms and vending machines and a gift shop, so you can buy all those little trinkets from every state that you ever visit. You know, mom's got, like, the spoons from every state or the bells from every state or magnets from every state. And so you can get all that in these rest areas. It's, like, all-inclusive. They're just, they're oasises, they're awesome. It's important to know what you need before you stop at the rest area. But here's the problem with our American culture. We rest a lot, but we don't ever get rested. We go to the lake, we go camping, we go fishing, we go boating, we go shopping, we sit and watch Netflix, we're on the internet. I mean, we, we have a lot of downtime. We have a lot of things we do to relax. And yet we're more high strung, depressed, worked out, spent than ever before. Maybe we're pulling off at the wrong rest stops. Most of the rest that we do rests our flesh. We really don't know what it means to rest our spirit and to find real rest. I mean, I'm not against hobbies. I mean, I love to run. I mean, some of you are like, well, that's not rest. That's rest. Um, I love to relax in different ways. I I like to sit with a book. I like to do other things that none of you were gonna think are restful, so I won't go through my list. But you like to do different things to rest, and those are okay. But all of our rest cannot just be rest of the flesh. We've got to learn to rest in the spirit. When Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, come to me, those of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. In Isaiah chapter 30, the Lord, the King, is the Holy One of Israel, and he says, you will find peace and rest When you turn away from your sins and depend on me, you will receive strength when you need it, strength you need when you stay calm and trust in me, but you do not want to do what I tell you to do. Your spirit is not gonna be refreshed refreshed by a Netflix binge. Our spirits are not gonna be refreshed by scrolling Facebook and looking at all of the horrible things about Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump that we could possibly imagine I mean, that's not going to bring rest to our souls. And I'm not saying you don't need to read up and know, but for goodness sake, there's a limit. And we watch CNN and Fox News and all this bad news and police brutality and police are out to get us and they hate us and the racial tension. and, And then we, Jesus says, come to me. You know what? When you go out with your family to the lake, talk about the good things the Lord has done. Deuteronomy says, talk about the things that I've done. Talk about my law. Meditate on it with your kids. Talk about it when you lie down, when you get up, when you walk on the way. Let's talk about the word. Let's talk about what God has done, what God is doing. If all you want to talk about is how terrible Hillary Clinton is and how terrible Donald Trump is, how terrible the police department is, how terrible our world is, the chaos, the wars, the rumors of wars, I don't feel my spirit at rest. But God is at work in our world right now. He's never gonna leave us. He's never gonna forsake us. He's got a plan for this very moment. In fact, the chaos that we see around us, he has empowered us to be ready for this moment. And let's find ways to encourage each other and talk to each other and build each other's up meditating on the good things that God has done, his faithfulness to us, his love to us. Finding rest in him. Hebrews chapter four says, we have a high priest who's entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. So let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weakness, for he faced the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. So we should come boldly to the throne of our gracious God to receive his mercy and find grace to help us when we need it most. Uh, Most of our rest needs to be at the throne if we're not gonna be weary and give up. Our world kind of, our our rest in the spirit on this side and our rest in the flesh on this side kind of goes this way. We really need to get this thing balanced out a little bit better. Where we're actually resting our spirit more than we're resting our flesh. I mean, I could spend the rest of the day talking about this, but make the word more than just your daily devotional time. Pick this up and just read a couple verses and meditate on it. Read the Psalms. Meditate on the goodness of God. Just start thinking about how good God is when you need to relax, when you need to refresh, when you need to rest. And just start inserting that instead of a 30-minute Netflix episode. Inserting that instead of that book you're reading. Inserting that instead of, you know, that take that with you to the lake, if you will. And meditate on God and allow Him to bring rest to your spirit. Now, I know we're not going to throw away our phones and we're not going sit, to stop sitting like zombies in the room together. And it does crack me up, though, every time we sit in a room and all five of us are looking at a screen. And I just think it's just funny because it's so, it's our culture and you just see it everywhere. And even during connect time, you watch. I and mean, how many people are staring at a device out there? And it's just like, now you're all going to be like, never staring at But it's so, it's a part of our culture. I'm not saying never do it. Okay? This isn't some legalistic get rid of your cell phone or you're going to go to hell message. This is just an idea that you we've got to find balance. We've got to understand that if we just keep pulling off to the rest stops that have vending machines, instead of going to the full-service rest stop, we're not going to get the strength we need. We're going to get weary and give up. The warning that Paul gives to those who sow to the sinful nature, don't be deceived. Don't stay in dis- deliberate sin. If God says no, why are we doing it? If God says yes to something, why aren't we doing it? Why aren't we conforming our lives to His Word? If we're not careful, we're going to be misled. We're going to follow these demonic doctrines. We need to repent. Whenever God tells us to stop doing something or start doing something, tell someone, tell someone else. Tell another human being, God laid this on my heart that I really need to stop doing something. So then when you're tempted to turn away from it, that person's there to be your guardrail. Say, hey, why are you going back to that? Didn't God, ooh. That'll help us when we feel like walking away. The encouragement that he gives to those of us trying to sow to the spirit is number one, just resolve. Make the decision that God's way is right and we're gonna stick to it. Leave the results to the Lord, and learn to rest in Him. Rest in Him. I wanna invite you to stand with me as we get ready to close today. And Father, I just thank you for the truth that you've given to us today. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your presence in our lives, and I thank you for those in this room who have surrendered their lives to you. God, who desire no longer to gratify the flesh, God, their desire is to sow to the Spirit. They want to reap life. They want to reap the things that you've promised them to reap. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you take the word that we've shared today, you plant it deep in our hearts. Begin to massage it into the soil of our hearts to bring the kind of change that you want to see in our lives. As we get ready to close service today, I want you to just take a moment. I want you to just ponder which of these two groups you are right now. The apostle Paul speaks to this group of people who are sowing to the flesh. They have some level of faith Paul is not writing to sinners in Galatia. He's writing to the church. So he's writing to people who know the will of God, know the ways of God, but they're planting seeds of flesh and yet hoping to reap life. And their their minds are, are agreeing, it's good. I mean, I, I can reap life this way. And, and Paul says, don't be misled. If you're in that group today and you're saying, you know what, Pastor Tom, I, I'm i sowing to the flesh. I'm planting seeds of flesh trying to reap a harvest of life and I'm, I'm deceiving myself. That's a hard statement to make. But I'm gonna ask you, if that's you, I'm gonna ask you to make that statement. So I'm gonna ask that with your eyes closed, with your heads bowed, just between you and the Lord. If you're in this room today and you say, "That's I'm in that first group. I'm planting seeds to the flesh, trying to reap life. And I need to turn from that. I need to make some changes. And some of those changes are gonna be hard, but I, I wanna resolve to do that today. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand and say, Pastor Tom, that's me. Pray for me. You can put them down. Anyone else? That's me, pray for me today. Thank you for your honesty. That's a tough statement to make. God sees that and he honors it. And the Holy Spirit is gonna empower you to walk that out. And I wanna pray for you in just a moment before we dismiss but this second group is the one that was really on my heart for today. <clears throat> if you're in this room today and you're sowing to the spirit, <clears throat> but you're you're at a place where you you're entertaining thoughts of giving up. You're just you're discouraged, you're in despair, you're not seeing the harvest that you thought you would see and something just struck with you today and you say, you know what? I'm just in a hard place right now and I just need hope. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand and say, that's me, pray for me. Anyone else? I'm gonna ask our prayer team if you would come. If you didn't raise your hand and you're a part of the prayer team, I want you to come. For those of you that raised your hand and said, you know what, I need hope. I wanna make ourselves available to you. And if you're a member of the prayer team and you raised your hand and said, I I need someone, I need hope. I want you to get prayer before you give prayer. And so as we get ready to close, those of you that slipped your hands up and said, you know what, I I need hope. I really want us to take time. I want us to pray for you. There's a scripture that was on my heart as we, got ready, as we were going through worship today and I want to share it with you. From the book of Romans, chapter 15, where Paul says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so if you were part of that first group and you want prayer, I wanna make this prayer team available to you as well. But especially that second group, I wanna encourage you, if, if you didn't raise your hand and you're you're fighting discouragement today, this has just been on my heart this week that there are those here that are, are discouraged and just need us to rally around them and begin to pray for them and bring encouragement and hope. And so we I wanna take time to especially pray for those today. And so, Father, as we close this service this morning, we commit ourselves to you, wholly and completely. Holy Spirit, it is our desire to surrender our lives in every way to you, to conform our lives to you and to the truth of your word. We need your help. We need your grace. We need your strength. Father, I pray for those today that have been sowing to the flesh and yet have been trying to reap a harvest that's not coming. God, thank you today for the repentance. Thank you for the desire now to turn from that and to begin to sow, not to the flesh any longer, but to begin to sow to the Spirit so that life can be reaped. Holy Spirit, give them grace, not just to make these changes, but to tell others about these changes, to find that person that's going to walk with them through this life, through this process, and to help them to stay on that path. Father, I pray especially for these that are discouraged today. You are the God of all hope. And I ask by your spirit today that you would fill them with hope. That they would be able to continue to to plant the seeds of the spirit, that they would continue to be faithful and obedient to you. God, even when it looks like death and decay are coming, May they have confidence and trust in your word more than their own human reason, more than what they can see with their natural eyes. Give them eyes of faith today. Fill their hearts with hope. God, I pray for your grace upon this prayer team now as we minister to those that need your touch. Holy Spirit, flow through us. To these we pray in Jesus' name. If you want prayer, our prayer team will be here in the front. I want to encourage you to find one of them. Um, If you need to be dismissed, just do it quietly. Let this be a place of prayer for those who want to spend some more time in prayer. And uh, when you need to be dismissed, uh, just do, do that. God bless you as you go today.